It's Wednesday, January 8th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. The morning after Iran launched missile strikes targeting U.S. troops in Iraq, President Trump addressed the country. No Americans were harmed in last night's attack by the Iranian regime. We'll explain whether the drama with Iran could lead to an all-out war. Then we'll tell you how a world-famous CEO turned international fugitive plotted his great escape. And finally, a surprising royal announcement. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by ESPN. Tune in to the college football playoff national championship game between number one LSU and number three Clemson on January 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on ESPN. The most complicated story today involves trying to figure out if the U.S. and Iran are on the path to war. Rocket attacks that killed a U.S. contractor, a U.S.-ordered drone strike that killed an Iranian general, Iranian missile strikes at bases in Iraq. 15 ballistic missiles. Threats, threats, and more threats. Fast-moving events. War with Iran. This was an act of war. At times this week, it looked like the U.S. and Iran were heading toward an all-out war. But are they? That's the big question we're going to attempt to answer today by separating the signal from the noise. Let's start by addressing the latest escalation of U.S.-Iran tensions. Last night, you probably saw reports that two Iraqi bases, which housed U.S. and coalition troops, were hit by missiles from Iran. The breaking news alerts about these attacks made it sound like something really major might have just happened. The White House originally considered if President Trump should just get on TV right then and there and address the nation about the attacks. But fortunately, no U.S. troops were killed. Trump went on Twitter instead and said, all is well. It turns out no Iraqi troops were killed either. And reportedly, Iran may have actually avoided attacking parts of the bases where U.S. troops were located, on purpose. And Iran also warned Iraq that they were about to launch attacks on the bases. So it wasn't exactly a surprise to everyone. That's the first clue today that maybe, despite all the back-and-forth threats and predictions about war, Iran might not try to take this further. The second clue that at least Iran might be cooling off was a statement by Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif after last night's attacks. It included what some Iran watchers thought was a key phrase, that Iran's retaliatory operations had, quote, concluded. As in, maybe what we saw last night might be where Iran draws a line. And finally, some experts are saying the rocky history between the U.S. and Iran actually shows that war might not be inevitable. For decades, Iran has either supported other groups' attacks on the U.S. and its allies, or Iran has carried out those attacks directly. But in almost every case, the U.S. hasn't responded with direct attacks in return. Some security experts think that's because Iran has a pretty good idea of America's tolerance threshold. Basically, it knows how much the U.S. will put up with, without responding too harshly. For example, in 1983, an Iran-supported group bombed a U.S. Marine barracks in Lebanon and killed 241 Americans. At the time, the U.S. government was internally divided about Mideast policy. And ultimately, President Reagan decided not to launch a retaliatory strike on Iran. Then in 1996, an Iran-backed group attacked a housing complex in Saudi Arabia and killed 19 members of the U.S. Air Force. Again, no big U.S. response. 
In the mid-2000s, Iran-backed groups in Iraq were targeting American troops with improvised explosive devices. But the Bush administration limited its response to just targeting bomb makers, and it was all pretty much behind the scenes. And in 2011, when U.S. officials said they stopped an Iranian plot to assassinate the Saudi ambassador to the U.S. in the middle of Washington, D.C., President Obama just punished a handful of Iranian officials with sanctions. That's four Iranian attacks across four U.S. presidential administrations, two Democratic and two Republican, and no U.S.-Iran war as a result. But is it possible that this time is different? One possible reason it could be is that the U.S. drone strike that killed Iran's top general last week was a pretty unprecedented step by the U.S. The general killed, Qasem Soleimani, was a revered figure in Iran's military. He was a key part of shaping Iran's military strategy across the Middle East. President Obama and President Bush were reportedly presented with the option to kill Soleimani too, but thought it would be a step too far. So by Trump finally pulling the trigger on this bold move, it may just trigger a bold response from Iran. Another reason now could be different is that Trump's approach to Iran has been unique from the start. He strongly criticized Obama's effort to use nuclear diplomacy to reduce the threat from Iran. And at times, Trump has seemed willing to ignore the advice of top military leaders and diplomats. So a history of U.S. restraint toward Iran might matter less to him. But when Trump addressed the nation this morning, he appeared to fall more in line with the presidents before him by backing away from the idea of further military conflict and shifting focus to new sanctions instead. The fact that we have this great military and equipment, however, does not mean we have to use it. We do not want to use it. So what's the skim? At several points over the last few days, it looked like war between the U.S. and Iran could be on the horizon. We can't completely rule that out. But between the lack of U.S. casualties in the most recent Iranian missile attack and America's history of de-escalating military conflict with Iran, it's possible things might stop short of all-out war. It also helps that many of America's allies are urging restraint. That doesn't mean we can sweep this entirely under the rug. The conflict could move away from conventional warfare and play out down other avenues, like through cyber attacks or the targeting of U.S. allies in the Middle East. So there's still a lot to watch out for as this plays out even if those memes predicting World War III might be a bit premature. Coming up, an international man of mystery makes an appearance. That's next. You've kicked off the new year. Now get ready for kickoff. It's time for the college football playoff national championship game on ESPN. Only two teams remain. On January 13th, number one LSU will face off against number three Clemson in the championship game. Fun fact, both teams are the Tigers. You don't want to miss it. So get out your guac recipe and gather your friends. Then tune into the college football playoff national championship game on January 13th, only on ESPN. As you can imagine, today is a very important day for me. One that I have looked forward to every single day for more than 400 days since I was brutally taken from my world as I knew it. The man you hear speaking there is businessman Carlos Ghosn. This morning, he held a press conference that aired on a bunch of news sites, including CNBC. Here's why. Last week, Ghosn managed to escape house arrest in Japan. And the way he escaped sounds like something you'd see in the movies. So first, let's back up. Who is Ghosn? Gon is the former head of Nissan, 
Yes, the Japanese car manufacturer. Gone isn't Japanese. His parents are Lebanese. He was born in Brazil, and he studied in France. So yeah, he's kind of like Carmen Sandiego. In 2008, after working his way up the ladder in the auto industry, he became the CEO of Nissan. Nissan was struggling at the time, but Gone's been credited with reviving the company, helping Nissan increase profits and become the number two automaker in Japan. And he was rewarded for it. As of 2018, Gone's net worth was reportedly around $120 million. And he's become a bit of a celebrity in Japan. But his good fortune ended in November 2018, when he was arrested and charged with things like underreporting his income and embezzlement. He's been on house arrest in Tokyo and faces up to 15 years in prison. But his trial keeps getting delayed. So late last month, Gone escaped. Thanks to a lot of helpers. The details aren't clear, but Gone reportedly got inside a box and hid there. Then a team of operatives loaded him onto a private jet en route to Turkey. After landing in Turkey, he got out of the box and onto another private jet headed to Lebanon, where he has citizenship. The escape took months to plan. Operatives reportedly checked out airports and ports of entry in at least five different countries to find the best way to get him out. And now, authorities want to know who those operatives are. After he escaped, Turkish police detained seven people, including four pilots, as part of their investigation. But according to Gon, he's, quote, a victim of character assassination and called the Japanese justice system rigged. He's not alone in thinking that. The conviction rate in Japan for criminal prosecutions is 99%. Sounds positive, like A+. But activists have said that the Japanese judicial system doesn't believe in the whole innocent until proven guilty thing, and that instead, some suggest the system is designed to result in coerced false confessions. Meanwhile, Gon's future is still TBD. He's in Lebanon, and clearly he feels safe enough to hold a public press conference going after the Japanese authorities. But Interpol, the international criminal police organization, is asking law enforcement agencies around the world to help find him. And yesterday, Japanese authorities said they've issued an arrest warrant for his wife. But authorities in Lebanon haven't said whether or not they will take any action against Gon while he holds up there. In the meantime, Gon says he's innocent. I did not escape justice. I fled injustice. A royal announcement that is sure to rock the United Kingdom. It's pretty dramatic stuff, isn't I mean, it? It's a bit of a wow. I got some uh, breaking news, and it is about uh, Harry and Meghan. It's being called Megxit. Today, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex made a surprise announcement that they'd be stepping back as, quote, senior members of the royal family. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle went on to say they planned to become financially independent, but would continue to support Her Majesty the Queen. So what does all this mean? Maybe not all that much. There's no set definition of what being a senior member of the royal family means, but it usually means doing a lot of work on behalf of the crown and that you're close in line to the throne. That could help explain why Harry and Meghan might have made this decision. Meghan isn't part of the line of succession, and Harry's got five people in front of him, including his nephew, one-year-old Prince Louis. So giving up that spot in line may not feel like the end of the world. And as we're continually doing work on behalf of the crown, that's been a touchy subject too. The couple has struggled with constant media attention, 
And since Meghan is from the US, being a full-time royal would keep her and baby Archie away from family. Now, they say they'll have the freedom to split their time between the UK and North America, and to chart a quote, progressive new role for themselves. What that looks like remains to be seen, but we're anxious to find out. Before we go today, we've got a pro tip about how to negotiate at work. It can be hard, especially when the person you're trying to negotiate with is your boss. Just ask former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Samantha Power. This week, she sat down with our co-founders and co-CEOs, Carly and Danielle, for the latest episode of Skim from the Couch to share her tips on how to negotiate with a boss you may disagree with, even if they're the president of the United States. Don't be afraid of being predictable or sounding predictable, even to yourself. Mm -hmm. But it's also be prepared and be rigorous and anticipate what is going to come back at you. And indeed, I think the most effective dissenting viewpoints are those that fully internalize the constraints that the person who isn't agreeing with you feels. You can hear more from Samantha Power in this week's episode of Skim from the Couch. It's available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have career questions for Carly and Danielle, call them and leave them a voicemail at 646-461-6370. They'll answer listener questions each week on Skim from the Couch. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the Skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 